Let's turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke 22, beginning in verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that your provision is always enough. It is always sufficient. It is always perfect for the the end, the goal to which you have established it. And so, Lord, as we take in our hands this portion of your word, the daily portion that is given to us, the weekly portion for your church, how we pray, Lord, that you would bless it greatly. How we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the important message that you have for us and rightly to apply it, that you might be glorified and that we might be built up. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we carry on in Luke chapter 22, in this very momentous, fast-moving chapter. We began with the preparations for the Passover, and then the Lord's institution of the Lord's Supper, the departure of Judas, the disciples' very sad dispute about who is the greatest. And recently, Jesus' word for Simon Peter regarding his denial. And now, here in this section, beginning in verse 35, he asks this question, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, to state the obvious, that is an explicit change in his instructions to them. And friends, we don't see many examples of this in the Word of God. We do not see many examples of God changing his instructions in such a dramatic and explicit way. And we should pay attention to it. In these few instances that we have, we need to look at them very carefully. Now, the reason why such changes are rare is because Christ is God. Because God does not change. The Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is not merely one who does not change. He is unchangeable. It's impossible for God to to lie. It is also impossible for God to change. He cannot change. He's immutable and unchangeable. So we can be clear that it is not God who has changed. But here on earth, in our world, in our 
world as creatures, the epoch, the age of redemptive history under which these men are operating is about to change. That doesn't happen very often. It doesn't often happen for, for people themselves. We recognize in past that God dealt with his people in a different way. And we understand that that had changed. But here there's a group of men, his own disciples, that were currently living under one epoch, one age. And that was about to change. And therefore, their situation and the instructions that they were given, likewise, were going to change. Instead of the trial run which they had had back in Luke chapter 9, the trial run of going out as missionaries that was limited both in its time and also its scope, it was only there in Judea, or rather the, 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 the nation of Israel, it was there for a limited time. And that was about to change. They were about to go out in all the world to preach the gospel doing this great work of the church until the Lord returned. But more than that, more than that, they weren't going to come back to Jesus in the flesh, go out for a little while, and then come back to me and and report. And he's right there with them. That was going to change. And and that was why this epoch, this age, was about to, to turn from one to another, because Christ was about to be offered up as the atoning sacrifice. He was about to die and and be buried and be raised again the third day. And be ascended up into heaven. And therefore all of the situation of the church was about to change. Right then the friends of the bridegroom were with the bridegroom. And they were in joy. There was no fasting needed then. They had the bridegroom with them. And he was able to provide for them in a more direct and immediate sort of ways. He was going to depart. And therefore his instructions to them would change. Well, we should consider this, consider the implications of this change in instruction. And that's our title this morning, children, a change in instructions with these four points. First of all, a testimony of past provision. Second, the change in situation. Third, all must be accomplished And fourth, the provision is enough. First of all, a testimony of past provision. Again, that question. When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? It's referring, of course, to Luke chapter 9, where he called the twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All these things in their hands. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staves, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. All these things, which you and I would just take, if you were going on a a walk, uh, maybe for a couple of hours, you would bring these sorts of things. And he's sending them out for many days, and he says, don't bring them. And we receive the report from them. After they came back. But that report focused on the demons being subject to them. That was the thing that they were so impressed with. Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And we didn't hear about how this lack of provision worked out. Because I'm sure when they left that day. When they don't take anything for the journey. Nothing. They probably were thinking among themselves. How is this going to work out? That was probably number one in their mind. They probably weren't thinking about the demons being subject to them. They were thinking about the lack of provision. Probably. 
And then they go out, and God does these great works to them. And, it, and, and the fact that they've managed to make it all this time without any, any money in their pockets or any other provisions in their hands, no knapsack, all the rest of it, probably just paled in comparison. They didn't even think about it. So when they came back to give their report, that didn't even come to mind. Now the Lord has to prompt their memory and ask the question he didn't at that time. And said, you remember that time? We didn't talk about it at the moment, but did you actually lack anything when you had no provisions? I forbade you to bring any of these things. And the answer is no, nothing. We didn't lack anything. They went out from his presence without even the sort of things that, as I say, you and I would take walk on a walking outing without a second thought. And their testimony before God and before man is that they lacked nothing. That's their testimony. And friends, that's an important testimony. One day our testimony before God and before men is going to be that we lack nothing. Do you believe that? One day we will open our mouths. Maybe, who knows, what other business the Lord may have from our report in eternity. And I don't know where that stands on the list, but it's one day he's going to, oh, by the way, you know how I, I promised that I'd all, I've never leave nor forsake you and I'd always provide for your needs? Was that a lie? Or was that true? And we will open our mouths before the angels and the assembled company of God. And we will say, no, Lord. It was no lie. You provided for our every need. And we lacked nothing. We lacked nothing. Beloved, we must be convinced that God is able and willing to do this for his people. He is able and willing to provide for all of our needs. And this is Jesus' point. We need reminder of this. We need reiteration of this because that's his point. He's bringing to mind something they've forgotten about probably. And in this crucial moment, when everything is changing and when the trials are about to come thick and fast, he wants them to give testimony to what's already happened in the past. He's making that point for them and for us, that he is certainly able to provide for us. Even in the most extreme situations, which was the point of that little exercise. Like, I'm going to just do this just to show you that it's possible. And he says, don't take any provisions whatsoever. And he demonstrates his ability to provide. Now with that, though, with that we come to our second point, which is the change in situation. The change in situation. Verse 36, and he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, We've already seen that God was able to provide for them on their mission without any of these things. He was able to do it. And yet now he tells them, I want you to bring them. Money bag, knapsack, sword, what category do we put them in? Well, again, this is is ordinary traveling gear in the ancient world. Money bag, provision of restored money. We bring our wallet or purse. Money to be used to buy provisions along the way. Just going up and down the, the highway to, to Presbytery. We bring, provi- we bring a money bag, as it were, to buy things that we need along the way. Knapsack. Like a little small backpack. Again, something we'd bring even for a day journey to put little, maybe some food in there. 
maybe the, uh, a change of clothing, but something along those lines, and a sword. Keep in mind that the idea of a professional law enforcement that would protect you wherever you, you went is a relatively recent concept. And if you're traveling anywhere in the ancient world and many places today, you'd most certainly bring a weapon with you. And again, for all of these things, the question is, has God changed? You remember, don't you, that um, Nehemiah was ashamed to ask for a company of soldiers for protection on this journey because he wanted to demonstrate that God was able to provide. Well, the thing is that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ knows he's able to do that. And he's already proven to them that he's able to do that. And in this new situation, he says that now the way I'm going to do it is by you actually taking provisions along with you. I'm still going to provide for you. Your provision, your, what you have in the end is going to be the same. But this time I just want you to take it with me. Now, God has not changed, right? Again, the creator and sustainer of all things, who is more than able to sustain them on their brief mission without any visible means of support, is now able to provide for them in this way. He's not changed. But what has prompted this, this big change in instruction in terms of procedure and provision, is because the place that they were in, in, in the history of redemption was about to change. In fact, that the greatest line, we can speak of other transitions. We can speak, of course, of the fall. We can speak of the great flood of Noah's day. We can speak of the calling of Abraham. We can speak of the coming of the law under Moses. Well, we can speak of the, the captivity and the return from it. All those things are, 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 are changes and transitions in this great work of redemption. But of all those things, those are little pale little, little things compared to a dark, huge, sharp line of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That's the great dividing line of all things. And they were right there on the edge of it, about to walk over into the new world that would happen. Well, along with that, he says, my new way of doing business is that you take provision with you. you know, again, we could say it's, it's, it's because now you're going out into the whole world and, and therefore that's why it changed. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, he speaks, the reason why he gives for this change is that he will soon fulfill all that was written concerning him. Because, friends, all history revolves around where we are in redemptive history. All of our situation revolves around that great fact. And let me say this, certainly not the details of human culture. Because some people would take this and say, all right, well, the situation has changed, therefore the instructions change, and we'll just change our own instructions. Because some trivialities of human culture is different. You know, that we, maybe we wear shirts and suits instead of robes or something and therefore our instructions fundamentally change about the way that we do business about the way we carry out the mission of the church that's not what he's saying he's saying because all things are about to be fulfilled the prophecy concerning my death my my substitutionary sacrifice for you that's why this is about to change so that's the change in situation thirdly the third point is all must be accomplished he says, for I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. They must still be accomplished in me. 
This is the larger point of all of this. The provisions are just some small part of the work of redemption. It has to be. It's a necessary part. But all of it, all of these things concerning Christ, all of the prophecy, all of the promises, all of them must be fulfilled. It's not just an optional thing. It's not a, a question in our mind. We don't know what the outcome looks like. They must be fulfilled. The prophecy, of course, is as we read Isaiah 53 in the last couple of verses there. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And speaking of his substitutionary atonement, of the imputation of our sin. What does that mean, imputation of our sin? Well, imputation has to do with the transfer of something in the mind of God, and therefore that's what counts between one and the other. What do we have? We have sin. Christ is perfect. Well, in essence, God transferred the sin of his people to Christ in order that he might bear it. Just like the scapegoat. You remember in the Old Testament that the high priest, representing all the people, took the sin of the people and said, I'm going to take the sin from these people and put it on this goat. Actually, there are two of them. One was sacrificed and the other was sent out into the wilderness never to be seen again. Well, that's the picture, isn't it? Of Christ bearing the sin of us all, bearing it away never to be seen again because of his sacrifice. This is what must, he says, must be accomplished, that he be numbered with transgressors. Now, we've heard that word very recently, even in chapter, verse 3 of this very chapter. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve, meaning he was counted as one of them. If you're here on our membership rolls, you're numbered as one of our church. You're counted as, as one of us. And, and he was counted as one of the disciples. And Jesus, what about him? What's his membership going to be? One of the transgressors. He was about to take his place, to take his seat, to be included in that group, not of the disciples, not of a church, but rather as of a transgressor because he'd be one of them. He'd be numbered among them. And that is soon what's going to happen. Though he was acting in perfect peace, he'd soon be arrested by a detachment of soldiers, by a SWAT team, as if he was some dangerous insurrectionist. And though he was perfectly innocent, he'd be convicted and condemned as, as if he were the very worst sort of criminal, which the trial could not wait for the day, but had to happen right now. And there he would be crucified, the very worst form of torture and death, between two terrorists, the very, very worst. He'd be numbered among because, not randomly, not because of the will of man, not because some mistake happened, but rather because all that was ever written about him had to be accomplished. And so it was. It was accomplished. Then fourthly and finally, this little statement and it's a little point, it's a minor point. It is enough. Verse 38, so they said, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. 
Now, the, the point of that is, as a company of, of disciples, they, they probably didn't all need to have a weapon, and two was probably good enough for the situation in which they were intended. It is enough. And the larger thing is, what does it mean, right? That the provision that God had enabled them, therefore, to have would be sufficient. He didn't say, go acquire from afar things that are impossible for you to get, and then I'll send you. He says, in the things what, that, are, that I have put in your hand, you, the church, the disciples, it is sufficient. Now, that's a lesson, by the way, they've already learned. In Luke 9, 13, speaking of Luke 9, they're sent out in that way, but that's also the feeding of the 5,000. Don't forget about that. He said to them, you give them something to eat. And he said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. And he says, don't go and buy food for all these people. You already have sufficient provisions on you in my hands. And they sit down, and as you know, there's 5,000 men plus the women and children, and they all have enough to spare, and they take up all the fragments, 12 baskets full of fragments. It's enough for them. And friends, in some sense, the, the provisions, even though they were going to take their knapsack, and they were going to take their money bag, and they were going to take their sword, that isn't really sufficient to carry out the evangelism of the world, was it? It's not really it's more than what they had before. Their instructions had changed, but the reality hadn't. That these things in themselves would not have been sufficient apart from the Lord's blessing. But the lesson for us is that God's provision is always sufficient. It's always enough to fulfill His desire, to fulfill His mission of redemption. It's enough. My first application for this is to say that provisions are indeed part of the plan. It's the main, uh, I understand, the main thrust of this certainly has to do with, with missions. Our instructions have changed. Missionaries no longer go out having nothing. There are some who have taken this, this Luke chapter 9 and said, Oh, you're called to the mission field. Just, just go out. Don't even bother bringing anything with you. And I'm sure the Lord will provide Well, friends, that would be to misuse Scripture. We take things in accordance with the context and the point of redemptive history in which they take place. And that was God's instruction for a certain time. His instructions now for missionaries is that they take a money bag, that they take provisions, and that they are sent by the provisions given to the church. When he looks at the disciples, he is in effect looking at the whole of the church. And he says, that which I've given you is going to be enough. And when he looks at his whole church now, he says to you, that which I've given you will be sufficient for the carrying out of the entire work of which I have, which is the calling of all of the elect throughout all of time until I return. He has put these provisions into your hands. Is part of his plan. And what I say, therefore, is in his ordinary way of of doing business, if if the church does not make provision for missionaries, does not send out those with the gospel, 
through their resources, they are manifesting not their faith, but their disobedience to the plain instructions of God. And God's not going to bless it. And what do I mean for us, this being an application? Beloved, we have many demands as a church, financially. But we should be praying for and looking for ways to increase our giving as a church to missions. God has put resources in our hands. And we ought to be using them to the glory of God in as much as we possibly can. We haven't exhausted it yet. He keeps putting more and more into our hands. And we pray that we would at least seek to outstrip him as we look for and pray for opportunities to give to this great work of the Great Commission. So provisions are part of the plan. Secondly, let me say that these things have an end. And what I mean to say is that all of this was for our salvation. The purpose that Jesus Christ had in mind here, it was not in vain. It was not in vain that he was numbered with the transgressors. It wasn't just a play act. It wasn't just a, you know, it said so in the Old Testament, so I'm just going to go along with this because for some formality or some, some uh, show, I want to be sure that these things, happen, these things happen. No, the end of all this, of course, is the glory of God, but for our salvation. He was numbered for the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Is that wonderful? I don't know if you caught that. Same word. He's numbered with the transgressors. And he also makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you understand? Actually, that means he's numbered as one of us, sinners. Precisely in order that he can make perfect intercession for us. And save us. It's not in vain that Christ died. It's not in vain that the apostles brought provisions for them. Because all of these things are going to issue in the thing which he set out to do, which is the salvation of his people. And friends, isn't that a glorious gospel for us? That his provisions are enough. The provision that the Father made in sending the Son, the spotless Lamb of God, to die on that cross, that was his idea. That was the way that he was going to provide for sinners that would otherwise be going to hell. And his provision is enough. It is sufficient. And likewise, all that the missionaries have ever done, all that the, the church has ever done, these things seem so weak in themselves, but you know what? It will issue in the salvation of each and every one of God's people. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful promise to us. Thirdly and finally, I want to ask you the question, do you lack anything? Do you lack anything? It's a good question, isn't it? Jesus Christ asked that question. He said, when I sent you out in the most extreme kind of situation in which I was going to make that point to you, which you had absolutely nothing, did you lack anything? And in some sense, I guess I could say, yeah, I didn't even have a staff. I didn't have a money bag. No, no, no. But did you lack anything? And they say, No. No, actually, all of our needs were provided for. We were protected. We had the food and other provisions that we needed. We had the shelter that we needed, the clothing. Somehow you provided for me. Now I ask you this. Is that your testimony as well? Can you say before God and man 
that you are in, in lack of things that you need? Or if you're a child of God, can you say no? No, I, my testimony, come to think of it, is pretty much the same. I've not lacked anything. You know, we recently had a, a holiday uh, in, in America called Thanksgiving. A few of us gathered actually to observe it. It's not a bad holiday. It's probably one of the best. And the whole point of it is to remember that which God has done and to give thanks for it. It's not a bad idea. It's very useful. Because you think to yourself, although your current situation, your current uh, experience may be one of forgetfulness, and one of doubt, and looking into the future and saying, this does not look good. This time I'm sunk. That may be your experience now. But what you need to do is to do what those disciples do and look back and say, yep, actually, not only in, the, in, in that past, in the times of where everything looked great, in the times where it looked the worst, yet I have to admit, even if I didn't want to admit it, that I lack nothing. And that will be our testimony in the future. Hebrews 13 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And This, this is God's promise to you. He says he is your God and he will never leave you. And you will not lack. He will always provide for you. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is the way that you have dealt with your people. This is the way it has always been. And your people when were in the desert, apart from any visible means of sustenance whatsoever, you were able to provide miraculously for them with manna from heaven and water from a rock. And Lord, for these disciples, when they were sent out in this small mission, they brought nothing in order to demonstrate that, yes, you were able to provide through extraordinary means using your people. And Lord, now there are, we take provisions But the reality is no different whatsoever. That you are able in whatever circumstance to provide for us. And Lord, it is not just the material things. That is a smaller part of it. It's a relatively trivial thing to provide for us materially. But to provide for us who are sinners. That we should be saved. Provide for us an atoning sacrifice that actually works. Provide the means of grace for the calling and and upholding and blessing of your people throughout all of time, Lord, this is a task beyond imagination, but we know you are able and willing to do it. You have done it. And all of these things in your hands, they will work for their appointed end. It all must happen. And Lord, we're thankful that it is done for our salvation. And you've, you've forgotten nothing. you provided for it all. We pray, Lord, that we would rest peacefully and secure in your good provision for us in Christ. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We come now to the 
sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As I mentioned, this is a sacrament for believers. The Word of God is preached to all. The Lord's Supper is something as you take it in your hand and actively participate, you're proclaiming to the world around you and to the Lord himself that you actually believe these things and therefore it must be for believers only. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was instituted by our Lord immediately before he was betrayed and crucified. And the Bible warns us to examine ourselves before coming to this table. That only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should take it. And then also only those who are not in any open and defiant sin. And so for that reason, the elders on the one hand guard the table from those who may not be able to rightly discern the Lord's body. And on the other are concerned that believers should not be excluded. So it's for believers, it's also for church members. And that communion is a sign of belonging to the visible church. It is for communicant members of this church or else of another faithful evangelical church. And so if you're able to speak of your faith in Christ, your trust that he died in your place, as we just discussed. And if you're members of another congregation, then also please participate in this table. Likewise, those believers who are for the moment in some exceptional situation regarding their membership but have received permission from the elders, you're also welcome. The larger catechism asks a question, what is required of them that receive the, Lord, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in the time of the administration of it? There are some requirements. It is required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that during the time of the administration of it with all holy reverence and attention, they wait upon God in that ordinance diligently observe the sacramental elements and actions, heedfully discern the Lord's body, and affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings, thereby stir up themselves to a vigorous exercise of their graces in judging themselves and sorrowing for sin, in earnest hungering and thirsting after Christ, feeding on him by faith, receiving of his fullness, trusting in his merits, rejoicing in his love, giving thanks for his grace and renewing of their covenant with God and love to all the saints. Here are the words of institution of the sacrament as spoken by our Lord and given to the Apostle Paul. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, as we are instructed in the word of God, as we see the Lord Jesus himself doing, we do thank you. As we thank you, Lord, for all provision, as we thank you for all the food that we ever receive. But Lord, we give you thanks for these particular elements as we set them aside from their ordinary work, their ordinary use for just our physical sustenance, 
And brother, we, we set them aside for the work of being elements in this sacrament, this Lord's table. We thank you, yes, for this loaf. And we thank you for this cup. We pray you'd bless it to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.